0: Welcome to the city. My name is Brandon. If I haven't met you before, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, thank you for coming on, on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, you know, for, for many of us, it's a day of mourning. Um, a day Chiefs fans wonder what in the world happened, like the Bengals. If you're not into football, humor me for just a minute. We're going to talk about this, okay? The Bengals. The Bengals. The Bengals. Uh, You know, you you do have Joe Burrow, though, on the other team. And, you know, he's pretty amazing. I looked up some facts about him, some stuff I didn't know. Maybe you haven't heard him, too. But first of all, when when Joe was born, he drove his mom home from the hospital. I don't know if you guys have heard that one. He can dribble a bowling ball. Uh, He can divide by zero. And actually, Superman owns a pair of Joe Burrow undies. And so he's pretty amazing, right? That's what it takes to beat Mahomes I guess you know but if you're a Cowboys fan and sad like why <laughs> you know it's like it's just another super bowl without the Cowboys in it i mean if you're upset that the Cowboys aren't in the super bowl you haven't been paying attention for the, for the past 30 years because it's 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 the same song over and over again uh, but but today, before all of that, we're going to talk about Luke. You know, we've been in the book of Luke for a while. It's been amazing. Uh, again, I want to encourage you to jump on the app and catch up if you're behind. If you've missed any, you can watch all of the messages there. Um, but it's been great. And again, I say this every time I get to speak. But it's it's been life changing for me doing this thing verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It, it, I'm falling in love with God's word like never before. I was raised in church. I've heard a million sermons. Uh, but there, there's just something about getting down into the, to the, the meat of the text and, and just letting it change your life. It, it's, it's been life-changing for me, and I hope it's been for you too. And it really is our prayer as a church that your heart, your hearts would, would be drawn to Jesus, that, that your love, your devotion for God and for following Jesus would grow week by week by week as you study, as you learn, as you apply this stuff to your lives. Last week Clayton talked about <clears throat> Jesus healing the leper and the paralyzed man and it upset the Pharisees and uh we're going to have more of that today. A lot of upset Pharisees. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. So, we're going to be uh chapter 5 in Luke verse 27. If you want to turn there, the best way to do this is is through our app on Message Notes. The verses are there, the points are there, some fill in the blank stuff. It's pretty cool. So uh, I asked today Wade to come read our scripture for us. So if you guys would, would stand just in reverence for God's word. And uh, Wade's going to read.
1: Hello, city fam. My name is Wade Brown. Uh, you may not know me, but you probably know my better half. Amber Brown is our family pastor here at the city. Uh, I'm pretty lucky to be married to her. But uh, I volunteer primarily in the kids ministry. It's been a blessing to me. And if you uh, feel called we can always use more help as well. So if you'll read with me, Luke five twenty-seven through 32. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners and need to repent.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Wade. You guys can have a seat. So here we are. We just had Jesus heal the leper, heal the, the paralyzed man. He leaves that place, and he's got this uh, mob of people following him again. This is kind of the, the story of his ministry, right? He performs miracles. People want to see what's going on. He teaches, and he, he tries to, to open their eyes to the kingdom of God, and, and he kind of moves from place to place. But this particular day, he had a divine appointment to keep. He, he saw Levi, some translations say that he noticed him. He, he gazed intently at Levi, who was a tax collector. And so just to kind of clarify, because I might say the wrong name or get confused, like Levi is Matthew. Matthew is Levi. Many assume that, that Jesus gave him a new name, changed his name. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how if Jesus wants to change your name, you've got a new name. Just like Peter, you know, used to be Simon. You have Saul that went to Paul. Here we have Levi, who is also Matthew. One interesting note, Luke, the gospel of Luke, he's the only one that calls Matthew Levi. The other gospels refer to him as Matthew. In fact, Matthew's gospel, Levi wrote Matthew, you know, Matthew, his gospel, Matthew, he refers to himself as Matthew. So we don't know why Luke chose to, to highlight uh Levi, which was his Hebrew name, but, but he did. And so that's what I'm going to refer to him as today. Uh, Levi, he, he's a tax collector. Now, in, in our culture, we don't really have a context for what this meant <laughs> to be a tax collector. The closest thing we have is probably the IRS, okay? And I don't know how fond you are of the IRS, but probably you're not looking forward to tax time, which is right now. Gulp, you know, it's time for that. No, no one enjoys the IRS, but this is not that. Being, being a tax collector in those days was a thousand times worse. Uh, see, the, the Roman government occupied Israel and it wasn't just a military presence. They, they also owed taxes to the Romans. And so the way it would work, for example, like in Galilee, taxes would be collected by these tax collectors and then forwarded on to Herod Antipas and then he would send them on to Rome but Antipas sold these tax franchises these tax collecting franchises to the highest bidder so so uh, if people in Israel or whatever you could you could bid on the the chance or the opportunity to be a tax collector and that's how you made a living and the these tax collectors were crooked okay? Like um, they were seen as traitors because they they, they were collecting taxes for the the invading government, okay? But not only that, whatever they they taxed above and beyond what the government was, was requiring of them, they would keep. It's a very, very loose system here. If the tax was a dime, if the tax was a nickel, they would charge a dime, they would keep the excess. And on top of that, if if they couldn't pay their taxes, they would loan people money at these outrageous rates. And when they couldn't pay it back, they would go and have people shake them down, beat them up, take their land, all this kind of stuff. I mean, they they were basically thugs. They were the very first mob bosses. They were traitors. And, And spiritually, legally, according to the law of the time, they were spiritually, legally unclean. They were banned from the synagogues. That might sound familiar from last week. The leper had to stay at the outskirts. Nobody could be, nobody wanted to be around him. They couldn't come into the synagogues. They were, they were unclean. So Levi here is basically a leper. He's socially, spiritually, an outcast. He has no friends other than other tax collectors and other just really down and out, lowly scum people, as as the Pharisees called them. He was an outcast. So so Levi then, because of his Occupation and what he's chosen to do with his life—he's one of the most hated and despised men in all of Israel. The lowest of the low, the tax collector in those days symbolized the worst kind of sinner, kind of like a UT fan today, right? No, okay. One Greek writer even compared the the, the, the level of sin here. They, he put him in the same class as adulterers. So you got Jesus, who's the Son of God, walking up. To Levi, who's the worst of the worst. Luke here is revealing again this this pattern in Jesus' ministry. Jesus tends to reach out to those people that are kind of on the edge of society. The outcast. Two weeks ago, it was fishermen. Last week, it was those people suffering from physical limitations. And and now, it's, it's a social Outcasts. You know, it's amazing when you think about it. If you look at all of scripture, this is kind of what God does. He, he has this way of choosing the misfit and uses them in, in amazing ways. It's almost like he, he looks for the least likely to succeed and, and is like, that's, that's my man right there. And we're going we're gonna to use him to do amazing things. And that's how he's, he's done all of this throughout scripture, built his kingdom on people just normal people doing extraordinary things because of God working through them. A couple of weeks ago, it was Peter, James, and John the fisherman. But then you have Saul who you know became Paul. He was the one that was arresting and killing Christians. He chose that man to be kind of his, his number one evangelist to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He chose Moses who had a speech impediment to be the, the mouthpiece of his people to Pharaoh. He chose David, who was a shepherd boy and was the least qualified of all of his brothers. He chose him to be king, and he was in Jesus' very bloodline. He chose Mary, Joseph. They were extremely poor, just normal people. The very first people to hear of the birth of Jesus were shepherds in a field. And you think God can't use you. He can and he will. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 says that God uses the foolish to confound the wise. So that no one can boast. See, it seems like people like this, people a lot like you, a lot like me. When we step out in faith, we're obedient to God. We drop everything and go with Jesus. See, we're the, we're the most likely in those moments to depend on him. That's where God gets the glory. See, God sees not just what we are, but what we can become. It's almost like a sculptor looking at a, a hunk of clay there. Like they, have the, the, they can see what's ahead for it. And that's what Jesus does here with Levi. He saw something in Levi that no one else saw. And here, here's Levi sitting in the tax collector's booth. He's right in the middle of, of his sin, right? I mean, he's doing the very thing that makes him an outcast. And Jesus walks straight up to him and initiates this This encounter, I mean, this is a very controversial situation. But Jesus walks up, verse 27 again, he says, follow me and be my disciple. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Left it all and followed him. This is another theme we can start to see with disciples that d- decided to follow Jesus. Like the fishermen a couple weeks ago, they, they left their boats. They left everything. They left their families. They, they followed Jesus. Just like last week, the paralytic on his, his pallet. He gets up, takes his mat, and goes. He's healed. And Levi, he responds to Jesus' invitation. He leaves his career, his financial security behind to follow Jesus. More so even than the fishermen. You remember the fishermen walked away from, from their boats, but they didn't light them on fire. If this Jesus following thing didn't work out, they could have always gone back to fishing. Not so with Levi. See, Levi had this position of tax collector. It was highly sought after. The second he walked away from that, the higher-ups would have put someone else in his place. Like there was no coming back for him. When he chose to, leave everything and follow Jesus. He was making a final, a permanent decision to lose everything. So what does that tell you? That tells you something happened in his heart. Like there was a miracle that took place in the heart of Levi. You had this tough, hard-nosed, mob boss kind of guy who who turns into this humble man. Here's, Here's a fun fact. There's no record in any of the gospels of Matthew speaking And in his own gospel, the gospel of Matthew, he refers to himself only two times in this instance where Jesus called him and in just a list of the 12 disciples. And even in in his description of himself choosing to follow Jesus, he makes no mention of the fact that he walked away from everything. Doesn't even mention it. It's a sign of humility. This traitor, extortioner, robber, outcast, sinner becomes an apostle, an evangelist of Jesus Christ. He walks away from this temporary career, right, but gained an eternal destiny. He gave up material possessions, but he gained an inheritance that will not fade away. He lost sinful relationships, but he gained a friendship with Jesus. And eventually, You have Levi who's given the name Matthew. What does Matthew mean? Matthew means God's gift. God's gift. That was the opposite of what Levi was, right? But because of the miracle Jesus did in his heart, he's God's gift now. Jesus, he's saying, listen, Levi, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what they've labeled you. I don't care what they think of you. I will remake you. And he did. Levi's life has changed. So then what happens next? Verse 29. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. So Levi, the first thing he does, he hosts a party, a banquet. He invites all of his friends. Who were his friends? Tax collectors and other questionable people, sinners, just like him. And the purpose here was he wanted to introduce them to Jesus, to this guy that he's he's about to give his, his whole life to, right? The guy that changed his heart. He's paying for all of it. He's turning his resources over to Jesus. He's throwing this massive party. He's saying to Jesus, listen, all I have is yours. I I want to introduce my friends to you. And another thing about the culture there and the context here, this wasn't just a dinner, a banquet, a, a party. In those times, the Jewish culture, like eating a meal with someone was a huge deal. It was, it was a huge sign of, of intimacy, the deepest kind of intimacy, of friendship, like you were breaking bread together. You remember in um, Revelation chapter 3, you have Jesus talking to the church in Laodicea. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, I will, I will come in with you and what? We're going to sit down and eat together at the table. He's describing here the beginning of an intimate relationship with Jesus. This is what's going on here. He's sitting down with these just people with horrible reputations, doing everything wrong, and he's breaking bread with them. I mean, to to any Jewish person that that knew anything about the law, this would have been so, so offensive. It's like Jesus saying, hey, we're we're becoming part of each other here. We're starting a, a friendship So first Jesus, he's saying he's God, right? And he has the the ability to forgive sins. And now he's sitting down with these sinful people. Something's got to give here. And it, of course, upsets the Pharisees. But the Pharisees and their teachers of the religious, religious law complained bitterly to who? Jesus? Oh, no. To his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Such scum. They were ticked off. They were complaining to the disciples. This guy that claims to be the son of God, he has some really sinful friends, you know. But, but here's the thing about the Pharisees. All throughout scripture, you know, Jesus is calling them out. And he's calling them snakes and all this stuff. We like to, to jump on and, and pile on. But did you know that we're not that much different than they are? Like all of us, every single one of us, our tendency is to default to, to this religious spirit, this rule-keeping. We all have a tendency to be a little self-righteous. See, where there isn't truth, there's rules, and then there has to be rule-keepers. It's what the Pharisees were, that religious spirit. We, we all have a tendency to kind of drift that direction if we're not careful. How many of you have heard stories about someone being ostracized, maybe kicked out of a church because of a divorce or a pregnancy or some kind of sin issue or or something like that. I'm not talking about church discipline here, right? We all need church discipline if, if we're struggling with something. I'm talking about the people of God turning their backs on somebody that needs them. This is the face of religion. And Jesus, he ain't about it. In contrast, he sits down to dinner with them, an intimate gesture. And the Pharisees here, the Pharisees avoided sinners at all costs. Like they didn't even want to, to give the suggestion that they endorsed those people. So they, they kept their, their distance. The, the Pharisees preferred a level of quarantine from sinners. That word means something to us these days, right? They wanted them away from them. The Pharisees' religion says, stay away until you're better. See, Jesus prefers to to aim for the recovery of the sinner. Jesus says, I'm coming to make you better. Jesus extends his hand. Pharisees point the finger. I mean, who in the world looks at a Pharisee and says, man, I I would love to be like that? All narrow-minded and bigoted and judgmental. Nobody, right? But if we're not careful... We can look a lot like that. Religion says that the haves don't associate with the have-nots. But but Jesus comes and completely flips that on its head. He destroys that entire system. He actually seeks them out. It's in his nature to love people, to, to have compassion on people who are the least among us, the outcast. Just like last week, Jesus looks at that leper In the middle of of his sickness and the contagious thing that was going on, he walks right up to him and touches him. He did the same with Levi. Right in the middle of his sin, he walks right up to Levi and he touches him. He says, come follow me. So the Pharisees are doing their thing, complaining. And Jesus says to him, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call, not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. See Jesus, because he's God, he knows what's happening here. Maybe he overhears the, the wah, 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 you know, of the, the Pharisees and he addresses it. Of course he addresses it, right? I love this about Jesus. He never lets this stuff go. He, he takes the opportunity to address it and to go straight to their hearts. He gives an analogy talking about the obvious fact that sick people need doctors and these people are, are sick, right? The Pharisees understand that language. That they, they know these, these are the sickest people that there are. So he's kind of speaking their language there, but it's also just an indictment of their own cold hearts, their, their wickedness, their hatred for people that they should be trying to help. The Pharisees, they, they saw no sin in themselves and they, they saw no value in anyone else. But Jesus, he's God in flesh, right? So he's, he's telling them plainly, listen, I haven't come to call the righteous, but, but sinners. I've come to call sinners to repent. He calls on those that aren't well to get better by coming into the, the grace of God. If they want to know God, the Lord will not reject them, but will begin the process that will make them well. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, not only do I hang out with them, I came for them. They're the reason that I came. Sick people need a doctor. I mean, that that imagery is strong. I don't know about you, but I hate the doctor. I don't go. Uh, I really hate it, like a lot. And if I go, it's for a very good reason, right? I've run out of options. You know, a couple of months ago in October, actually, I had this episode during the night where I woke up and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't get a full breath of air. I had all this pain in my left side and in my shoulder. And I thought I was having a heart attack or something. I had to sleep sitting up couldn't get a full breath of air. It felt like I broke a rib, but I was laying in bed. Um, I didn't know what was going on. So I dealt with that for a couple of days before I was like, I probably should go to the doctor. So I did. And they ran chest x-rays and everything looked fine and didn't know what was going on. Gave me some steroids and antibiotics, probably some kind of infection or whatever. And so the pain kind of goes away, but still shortness of breath. I, I can't, just walking across the house makes me, winded, you know, can't breathe enough to to sing. Right. It's, it can't get enough air in my lungs to even yawn. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. Months go by, saw four or five doctors finally do a CT scan and it comes back with, I have all this fluid built up in the lining of my lung and, um, pressing, kind of pressing on it. And, uh, ended up having to go to the emergency room. Went through all these scares of, of uh, something went wrong with my heart. Some Maybe it's a some kind of blood clot situation. I went through a little bit of a cancer scare. And then at the end of the day, they're like, we don't know what's wrong. Uh, but something caused it. Let's figure it out, right? So we start. Uh, I, I, they drained a couple of pounds of fluid from my chest cavity, basically, and sent the fluid off to, to test it. No infection. Um, finally, long story short, we figured out that... I had an allergic reaction, not a side effect, an allergic reaction to some medication that I was taking that was helping in other ways, right? But it was making me sick. I mean, without the doctors, I would have, I'd have no idea, right? No, no idea what was causing it. I couldn't have gotten rid of it by myself. I, I couldn't do any of it on my own. And I was the one taking the pill that was making me that way. Uh, There there was this one point, I remember sitting in the hospital bed, taking the pill that was keeping me there. I mean, how much sense does that make? What's our sickness as human beings? We all have it. Born with it. Sin. Sin is our sickness. You are S-I-N positive. I hate to tell you from birth you have a problem you, you can't do anything with it on your own that's why Jesus came he came for the sick to seek and save those who were lost how do I know you're sick because I am too we, we have this problem where we're not perfect but God's standard is perfection See, see, some of you keep running from God, doing things your own way, and all you're accomplishing is keeping yourself sick. You're running from the only one that holds the cure. At the city, we have something called the City Seven. Seven foundational truths, right? Why we believe what we believe. We cover one every single week. This week is number four. <clears throat> Can a person be good enough to go to heaven? No. No. Because Jesus rose from the dead, proving he is God, I believe a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You can't be good enough. You can't. There's nothing you can do to solve this problem on your own. It's only through faith in Jesus. and God's grace comes into your life. He forgives your sins. He takes care of your sin problem. Spiritually heals you so that you can have a right relationship with God, something you cannot do on your own. God, though, he seeks people that are are truly repentant, not the hardened, self-righteous people. See, it was the humble, repentant tax collector that ended up standing before God righteous that day. It wasn't the self-righteous Pharisee. The truth is God can't save those who refuse to see themselves as sinners, who ignore or gloss over or trivialize their sin. Only those who understand that by God's uh, grace and the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, the ones that that, that realize that they are the poor prisoners, blind, oppressed, headed for an eternity separated from God in hell. Only those that trust Christ's work on the cross for, for the full payment of their sins can be saved. Jesus calls on us to repent. What does repent mean? Repent means turn from your sin, turning towards him. It's a a turning that results in a different kind of life. That's why Jesus came. He he was that perfect sacrifice. He didn't have this sin sickness. He was sinless. That made him the perfect person to, to be the sacrifice then for all of our sin. He died for it. He rose from the dead. Now he has the keys. (laughs) He's conquered death and hell. And we have this option to put our faith in him and start a relationship with God. To have our past forgiven, wiped away, sins forgiven. Like Levi, you're never too far gone. Let's see that again. You're never too far gone. God looks at you and he's like, I know you've messed up. I know what they say about you. I know what you label yourself. I know the weight that you carry around, but that's not who you are. And he says, if if you'll let me, I will remake you. Something new. If you haven't made that decision to go to the doctor, you haven't decided to start a relationship with Jesus, you don't have that moment in your life where you look back and you're like, that's the day. Not that I started going to church or started following the rules, but that's the day I met Jesus. You can do that right now. You can do it today. God has so many plans for you. He's got a, a road for you to walk that's so far beyond anything you can imagine. But you got to take us. He's, he's, already, he's already come all the way towards you, right? He made the first move. All you got to do is surrender to him. A couple of takeaways today before we go. The first one is this. Jesus took sinners to dinner. You've heard this language before. We we use it a lot. But Jesus took sinners to dinner. He hung out with them. He invested in them. See, true Christianity has always broken down economic and social and ethnic and racial barriers. That's, That's what the church should look like. Why? Because that's what heaven looks like. See, religion does the opposite. Religion divides us and separates us and segregates us and makes us all about the ways that that we're different. It makes us point the finger at each other instead of extending a hand. That's not the heart of Jesus. See, Jesus reaches out to sinners because he sees the potential for there being something new through God's grace. Yeah, Levi and Jesus, they're they're sharing this this table with the worst of the worst. Religious people though, they, they don't do dinner with sinners. They want distance. They condemn sinners while Jesus gives them compassion. Here's another way to look at it. Dinner, not distance. Compassion, not condemnation. We shouldn't as Christians seek to isolate ourselves and. Quarantine ourselves from the bad sinners. We should have compassion, extending the hand, not, not pointing the finger, not condemnation. Does your life look this way? Have you drifted into self righteousness? But see, here's, here's the tension. Yes, Jesus took sinners to dinner, but, but Jesus still called a sinner a sinner. You feel the tension there? Like they seem like they don't go together because in one hand, he's hanging out with them. He's, he's having this intimate meal with them. He's saying like, listen, we're, we're together in this. But at the same time, he still calls a sinner a sinner. He's sitting there surrounded by sinners And in front of all of them, he calls them sinners. He calls them sick. He says they need a doctor. See, Jesus, yeah, yeah, he hung out with with these kinds of people, but he was still Jesus. He was still God in a body. He was still holy and righteous. He hated sin. He was accepting and loving, but he didn't back down from the truth. He he called things the way they were. He spoke the truth in love. See, Jesus was grace and truth. These two things that feel like they're on opposite ends, like he was full measures of both of them. And this is something we can't do very well on our own. We, We need to try though. Grace and truth. Dinner with sinners doesn't mean we live our lives and immerse ourselves in the lives of people that are far from God. The Bible warns us about being yoked to unbelievers and how that can drag you down, that can drag you off course, that can send your life into this kind of chaotic mess where nothing's really lining up and it can do damage to your relationship with God. What we need most of all as believers is, like we talked about earlier in the service, community with Jesus followers that we can do life with and serve Jesus with. But we also need to carve out time to go fishing, to spend time with people in our lives that are far from God. Again, not immersing ourselves in their culture or whatever, but spending intentional time where we are on mission Them to show them who Jesus is, to introduce them to Jesus. It's a both and that's, in fact, that's the big idea today. It's introduce sinners to the who that came for you Jesus, He came for you, He initiated the relationship with you, just like He did with levi and you know what levi at that that banquet he didn't stand up on the table and be be like all right everybody this is jesus here's the new list of things that we can't do here's another list of things we got to start doing right clean it up people are watching you know he didn't do any of that what did he say this is jesus he changed my life He he introduced them to the who. We want to be known for the who, not what we're for or what we're against. We want to be known for the one that we follow. Living our lives for Jesus, living kind of out loud on display for all to see. A true Jesus follower. Not this weak cultural Christian stuff where we dilute the gospel down to something that we just do a couple of times a month, you know? You remember the story of Jesus and the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Samaritans, there's another group of outcasts. The Jewish people hated them. There's the same sort of reaction here to the tax collectors. I mean, they were despised. It, if, you're, if their town was on your way to where you're going, you, you went around the town. You didn't go through it. But Jesus, the scripture says, he had to go through Samaria. He, he didn't have to. He chose to. He walked straight to the middle of town, straight to this woman who in the middle of the heat of the day was drawing water. Why was she doing that? Because... Not only was she a Samaritan, but even among her own people, she was an outcast. Sinful woman. He goes up to her and he starts this conversation and they're talking about water and he he talks about his, his living water that he offers. You drink from this well, you will never be thirsty again. And her eyes are open to who she's with. She's changed and she runs into the village to, to, the, to the very people that are pushing her to the outskirts and says, you have to come see. Come, come look at this man who told me everything I ever did. She introduced them to the who that changed her life. That's what our lives should look like. But see, I, I think for a lot of us, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know, you, you have that moment when you, you get saved and the fire's burning bright, you know, and you're just on fire. Just telling, you, you just wanna tell everybody about what Jesus did in your heart. you know. For some of us, that fire fades over time. It dims. Our hearts grow a little colder. See, I think if we're going to do this in, in real life, it starts with us falling in love again with, with just the beauty and the majesty and just the, the profoundness of the gospel, the, the simplest of things. See, see, we tend to forget those simple truths that are the very reason that we're here. I think we, like David, need... To cry out to God, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Like burn bright in me. Has your heart grown cold? When, we, when you hear the, the truths of, of, of the gospel and what Jesus did for you, I mean you think about what He's brought you through. Think about how your life has changed because of your relationship with Him. Think about answers to prayer. Think about all the things He He's done for you. The most important thing being obviously dying for you in your place so that you can spend eternity in heaven. If, if those things hitting you doesn't do something in you, something's wrong. We gotta remember what he's done. We gotta have a, we, we want to be that city on a hill, right? That can't be hidden. We want our lives to shine bright for all to see. Because when that happens, when Jesus shines through us, guess what happens? People are drawn to that. Are you are you are you living on fire for him, or are you just God, you know, boxing him in and putting him on the shelf? And you know, it's just something you do. You, you can't really have it both ways. So We're about to do, we're about to sing and we're singing a song that's new. You just sang it earlier. We're gonna do it again. And I want you to to really ask God again like David did. God, search me, search the innermost place. Find anything that offends you. And just, just ask him, God, what are you saying to me? Has my heart grown cold? What are the things that's drawing my heart away from you? Just ask him man light me up fill me with your spirit i don't want to miss what you've got for me god i don't want to sleepwalk through this life anymore some lyrics from the songs some imagine you're a distant and removed but you chased us down in merciful pursuit. To the sinner you were grace and the broken you embrace. And in the end, the proof is in your wounds. Blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who reached for me. Hallelujah to the son of suffering. God, I pray that today you would expose anything in us that doesn't please you. God, our apathy, if if our spirits have been stagnant, if we're we're in some kind of rut with you, I, I pray that you would light that fire in us again. God, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Remind us of just the the, the profoundness of the gospel that you made the first move when we were in the center of our sin. Lost, turning our back on you. You made the first move. You still, while we were sinners, you still chose to give your life for us, not just all of us, but for us, for, for me. God, you saw me. And you remade me. To wake us up we don't want to be just, just taking up space on a pew we want to be active in the kingdom of God living for you following Jesus none of this cultural Christianity garbage God we want a real authentic relationship with you and we want to be passionate about it God we want others to look at us and say I want that We wanna be extending our hand to those that need you, not pointing our finger. God, let our lives be marked with compassion for those far from you and passion for you, working in our hearts and lives. Change us, God. Only you can do that. You are the doctor. We can't do it on our own, so we ask you, God, to, to fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name,